Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunt of a lifetime, changing lives one adventure at a time, empowering kids with courage. Join us in creating memories for kids facing life-threatening illnesses. We are here to make dreams come true. From magical outdoor escapades to heartwarming experiences, every moment is cherished. With every step of our young heroes, find a network of support, love, families, volunteers, and friends unite to uplift spirits and spread smiles. Amidst breathtaking landscapes, kids find strength they never knew they had. Together we conquer challenges and celebrate victories. Be a part of the movement that transforms lives. Your contribution can bring courage and hope where it's needed most. Go to huntofalifetime.org to get involved. Let's create a world of cherished moments and unstoppable bravery. Brought to you in part by Maine Operation Game Thief, New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, and the North American Game Warden Museum. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. On this Warden's Watch, we're sitting down with Cole Letourneau, New Hampshire Fishing Game Conservation Officer, 
Thanks for joining Warden's Watch Call. Thanks for having me, Wayne. Yeah. It's great. Great. Absolutely. And it's great been hanging out with you at the Great American Outdoor Show, too. Yeah, this is, cool. this is like the coolest place. Yeah, it's the coolest place. Every and outfitter you could think of, anything you could want for gear. I mean, yeah. It's, it's and you've been doing sweet. a good job of recruiting, grabbing uh, guys that look, uh, and girls, that uh, look like they might be interested in a career in law enforcement in the outdoors. Yeah. I mean, obviously, New Hampshire's hiring right now. I mm-hmm. think most law enforcement's hiring across the, across the U.S. But, yeah. Uh, you know, we've had some pretty decent candidates coming through, and it looks pretty good. You yeah, know, youth is. Uh, New Hampshire's a pretty unique state that yeah. you can have coastal mountains. Yeah, and you can get there drive time. I mean, three hours from my house to the coast, and you get to experience that coastal mm-hmm. stuff and yeah. have some fresh seafood uh, yeah, and yeah. and be in the mountains hiking like it's out west. You could do both in the same day. You in can have a charter. Day. You could have a charter in the morning. Yeah, getting stripers off our coast and then go for a hike up in the whites after. Hundred percent. How many places? No, absolutely. And you're on the coast now. I am on the coast now. I just transferred back in September. Nice. Yeah. Manchester was uh, was fun, but it was time to move on. I, I got into the job for the natural resource protection work. Mm. I think it's as most game wardens do. Uh, I didn't feel like I was getting to do as much of that as I wanted to. The coast offers not only, you know, deer season, mm-hmm. but... Probably the highest know, population of deer in the state of New Hampshire. Oh, yeah, for sure. On that coastal for region. sure. Between unit M and L, I mean, it's intense, mm. but... Right. Now I'm also I'm yeah. doing the migratory species with the ducks mm-hmm. and the coastal enforcement with the stripers, tuna, all the federal regulations, the commercial guys. So mm. it's a lot of resource protection work that I haven't been able to do with the past few years. Yeah. Any particular one you're gravitating to that you're liking more than another? No, I mean, it's it's all new to me. You know, I, I kind of had the uh, the wood stuff down from coming from the Manchester side, but um now that I'm now that I'm over there, I'm just trying to relearn this whole new world that is the ocean mm. and an ocean enforcement and the commercial fisheries, which is super overwhelming. So, right. Uh, yeah. Especially, I mean, we're all deputized with NOAA and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and um, not only am I in charge of doing the state waters, but we go past that three mile mark too and do uh, the federal enforcement. So. Um, and that's where most of the commercial fishing occurs is outside that three three mile marker. Yep. So, yep. and Multiple then lobster. a lot of landing in New Hampshire as far as fish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, all the draggers are doing out are outside the mile mark. Um, lobstermen are going outside the mm-hmm. mile mark. It's a lot of fishing is out dotting, coming in from federal waters and even recreational. All the tuna that's being taken in, that's all outside that. Um, a lot of the recreational guys are going out past that three mile mark. So, it's important for us to be able to get out there because not only is that resource important to New Hampshire, but it's important to our surrounding states and the rest of the U.S. too. So, mm-hmm. uh, we're all sharing that. Yeah, 100%. And, and it seems like New Hampshire lands a lot of fish for, what do we have, like 13 miles of coast? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you break it down and you start looking at, you know, some of the back channels and stuff, it comes out to a little over 200. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, as far as actual legitimate coastline, it's right, right around there. So, yeah. And for the three ports that we have between you know hampton seabrook rye and portsmouth Mm -hmm. it's a lot of there's a lot of landings going on yeah for sure and you bring up a good point of all the inlets and how much coastal line is actually on that coast when you break it down and the striper fishing certainly when the stripers come in all that is fishable all of it yeah every ounce of it if you have a kayak man you can go through and Uh, and fish some pretty cool spots yeah for sure and uh, you're going to get away from those You don't have to have boats. the big three, you know, $100,000 boat no. and 
do it, you can like paddle out there and have some fun. Yeah, I mean, that's a great thing, right? Is I mean, our state, as far as access goes, mm. we actually got pretty decent access to waters and public lands and stuff. Mm. We're not hurting for that by any means. I mean, certainly it's getting smaller and smaller, and that is just, I think that's just an unfortunate thing across the country, but um, New Hampshire's pretty good. You know, if you want to get away from people and get some back, you know, some access back somewhere else, and uh, you can do that. If you don't mind getting onto a charter boat that's a party boat and going out with 20 other guys, mm-hmm. you can do that. Yeah. It's all what you want. Yeah, for for sure. For sure. You bring up something about the land, open land, and, you know, current use in New Hampshire keeps land open. And right now, nationwide access is a huge issue among hunting, fishing, sportsmen's access. Yep. So, and, uh, you know, up north, we have a lot of uh, big company, whether they were former paper companies, current paper companies, land. And if it's not posted... You, you can go there. It's good to go, yeah. I mean, and anywhere. And there's not many states that are like that, especially around mm. us. I know Massachusetts is pretty closed up. You know, you need permission for a lot of that. Yeah. New Hampshire, man, I mean, you can go, as long as you don't see a posted sign, you can go out through there. And mm-hmm. uh, that's that's what makes New Hampshire so great. It's Things are getting tough. I mean, we've got a lot of people, especially since COVID, they're moving north. Mm-hmm. They don't need to go into the work anymore. They can go through Zoom or do it, whatever, be remote. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that we're losing a lot of posted lands but i've also found especially down my way like a lot of landowners aren't necessarily against hunting they just want to know who it is that's on our property yep and uh that's so for guys to go and be like oh there's nowhere to go anymore well i mean try talking to anyone because right. like a lot of landowners just want to know who you are mm-hmm. that's all they care about so want to tell you where to park and what you drive so they know who's there yeah yeah, yep. it's understandable. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And there's some new regulations this year with uh, tree stands and trail cameras and stuff in New Hampshire, yeah. which, again, trail cameras are changing across the nation. We've already had some stuff uh, going on in Arizona, and I'm trying to think of the other state that totally, was it Arizona that totally outlawed them? I know, I think Arizona did, and I know there was another Western. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, Col- was it Colorado maybe? It might have been. I don't want to say anything uh, for sure, for certainty. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah. But uh, certainly trail cameras are becoming a, I don't know what to say, a source of a, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what trail cameras are becoming because Fair Chase is involved yeah. with some of the description. Fair Chase, I think a lot of landowners have started to kind of feel like their land is being just like under surveillance mm-hmm. all the time. And it's like, they don't feel like they can walk into the back 40 and just go for a walk without mm-hmm. ending up on someone's trail camera and then ending up on, you know, a New Hampshire Facebook page being like, right. who's this guy walking through my hunting space? Like, no, it's my land guy. So yeah. um, there's definitely a lot. There's a lot of... That was very well explained. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of contention um, about it. I mean, the good news is... is it's you, you can still use them in New Hampshire. If you're yeah. on private property, you just need to have the permission from someone. Right. Um, and you just and if it's your own property, you're good to go. Yeah, you're good to go. Yeah. You, know, you can do what you want. So and, and tree stands, the other thing, we're putting names and addresses on them? Yeah, we are. Um, you need uh, permission as well on private lands for things like uh, ladder stands, permanent stands, stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's not new for permanent stands. You've always needed to have permission. But, yeah, now mm-hmm. you need to get that. You need to get that ready permission from the landowner. Mm-hmm. Things like uh, my, my general understanding of it, it's still new, and we're still all kind of learning it and working right. out through kind of the kinks. But um, I know mm-hmm. 
talking to some other guys, it sounds like, you know, your saddles, uh, your saddle hunters are probably, they're fine. Yeah. They're not going to need to get that permission because it's not a permanent kind of a stance. Yeah, it's they're going to take it with them. Exactly. It's mm-hmm. transient. Right. Which is kind of what, it kind of matches what current use was made for anyway. Mm-hmm. It's always been kind of a transient activities, kind of an open use. Mm-hmm. So it's not made for you to be able to go camping on the property. Right, so. right, or build this big, ginormous stand there. Or, yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So and th- those are issues that are getting addressed nationwide, to be honest with you, that they're starting to come to a head, and it'll be interesting how that sugars off. But I think if I'm the landowner, that's I- I'm okay with that. I, I kind of want to know who's there. And yeah. and, so. and it sounds like, too, if landowners don't have a problem with it, it sounds like they can label it and say, hey, tree stands are allowed here. And that would be a covered use. It just needs to still have your name on it. But mm-hmm. um, so it sounds like landowners are still nice. given that that. Um, especially for to, like our large landowners too. Yeah, yeah. especially so. like you were talking about up north with mm-hmm. the paper companies and stuff. Like if they would want the guys to be able to still come out and do that, they can just post it. Right. Say hey, yeah, use it. Yeah. So because I know that was one of their big problems. They didn't want people to keep coming to bother them and yeah. ask permission. Right. So they would do curb length stuff. So right. hey, this is what you can do on our land. Yeah. You know, recovering an animal with an ATV was a big thing. Yeah, yeah, if you shoot a deer, you shoot a moose, you shoot a bear, you can take your ATV and get it in and get it out. But that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> that's understandable. We're fun. good with that. So don't yeah. don't keep coming to ask us. Yeah. <laughs> I can't blame them. Yeah, no, we got work. they got work to do, yeah. and that, that does take time out of it. Yep. So we tell people, hunters, to interact with those landowners. But some of those landowners, whether they're farmers, if they're, that's their primary job, that mm-hmm. takes some time out of their day. And It does. Yeah. And it's. And I mean, I have for a, them is a lot yeah they're busy people so. absolutely i have a friend that's a farmer and he doesn't really care to talk to hunters because of that right he's got a lot of stuff to do and it's right. come come september there's all kinds of people knocking on his door looking for him and he's like i don't uh, have time i don't have time so he assigns his good hunting buddy friend that that hunts there he yeah. goes go see him so <laughs> yeah. he runs the property for hunting yeah. <laughs> absolutely i've got this i got a similar thing it's a couple of properties that i hunt you know this guy's a farmer or whatever he's like go talk to my son yeah i i can't talk to it no that's fine and understandable for sure but so any like you had an epic case when you were a trainee and i let's talk about that because most trainees don't don't come into a such a case a matter of fact most seasoned game wardens don't come into cases like this call yeah no and i was i was actually off my trainee period i think i wouldn't hadn't even met a year yet um Mm -hmm. and uh so no, I kind of I, I kind of stumbled into it, but um, I'll give you kind of a, a quick general synopsis of it because yeah. it gets kind of lengthy if I get into some of the details. But um, so, kind of started off, the guy's down, a successful hunter, down at the check station registering his deer. Mm-hmm. Notices that two guys in front of him got real nervous when a green pickup truck drove around the uh, circle in Manchester, uh, and he was observant enough to realize, hey, I should. I should probably let someone know because that's just weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so he called us, and the only thing that I had was I knew what the person was I called and what time he registered his deer. <laughs> um, and so I was able to go back to the check station, find the registrations for the deer that were registered in front of him, um, and I started trying to contact those two guys. Mm-hmm. And I tried for over a week. Me and another officer tried calling them going to their house, knocking on the door. And we're like, I talked to the guy's roommate, like everything. <laughs> and I could not get in contact with them. Right. And then suddenly I get I'm out on patrol one day, just driving through and I get a phone call on my uh, work phone 
And I, so I answer, and the guy goes, this is the game board? I'm like, well, I'm one of them, yeah. And he goes, well, I got to tell you what I did. And I go, all right, man, like, you lay it on me. Like, I, you know, I'm sure it's not that big of a deal. We can work through it. And uh, he goes, well, I killed seven deer. And I'm like, all right, that's substantial. He's like, <laughs> he's like, no, you don't understand. I killed seven deer all at once. And I'm like, all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you say to that? <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm like, well, where are you now? He's like, well, I'm hunting in New York, and uh, I'm coming back tomorrow. I'm like, well, why don't we just sit down and chat tomorrow, and we can kind of figure out what's going on. I'm like, can you at least tell me, like, where this all happened so that, you know, I can just go verify some stuff. And he tells me um, it's a small chunk of this tiny little postage stamp piece of woods in the middle of Auburn. Mm-hmm. And um, he... I go out there and Wayne, it is, it just snowed um, when this happened. And the entire piece of woods was just blood grit. You know, I think, wow. I think all the game, I think most game wardens in the North know what it looks like to walk up on like a kill site and some drag marks coming out of the snow. Mm-hmm. I, I, there were so many drag marks, I couldn't figure out which one connected to which gut pot. Wow. Um, and it was, it was amazing. <laughs> to look at but uh so i talked to the guy he gives a full confession um kind of <laughs> so he he provides me that the the night he came and talked to me he provided me with a couple of bins worth of uh deer meat and says this is the deer meat from those deer that i took these are a couple of the hints from those deer the rest of them have been disposed of i don't know what happened to it Okay, understandable. Coyotes grab them, like whatever. Um, well, we start. I start digging in a little bit further. Me and Officer Rob McDermott, and um, we start figuring out that there were some phone calls made that day, and some of those deer that he had shot were registered by some other people. And then when I go back to him and I talk to him about that, I come to find out that those bins of deer meat he gave me actually came from New York and deer that he had harvested in New York uh, the day that I had spoken to him on the phone <laughs> um, so just trying to kind of wrap this big mess up into uh, a nice neat little ball for you <laughs> hmm. essentially him and four of his buddies one of them being his son go out and do essentially what is a deer drive uh, on this tiny little postage stamp piece. It's a, kind of a square piece of land, and they come in from it on each corner and kind of push the deer into the middle. Well, what he tells me is is that he sees a deer pretty much immediately as he comes off work, shoots that deer, a bunch of other deer stand up, run. He hears his buddy shoot, think, they just shot the deer I just shot. They come running back over to him. He shoots again, and by the end of it, he's got seven deer laid up in front of him. Um, he calls him, he tries to get his other buddies to register that they were with them shooting. They wouldn't do it. He calls some other friends. This guy comes back numerous times and collects a couple of other deer, brings them back to his house, chops them up after he registers them for him. Um, all in all, seven deer, all those were recovered. And, um, I think I, I, I sent you a, a photo of the, mm. uh, the spread that I had. It's yeah. uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> so it is impressive. I couldn't, there was, I think there was a couple of deer heads that I, we never fit located. Um, to kind of jump back a little bit, the interesting kind of story of how we figured out who it was that registered those deer for him. So, because he didn't want to tell me, he wanted to protect his buddy. 
Rob mm-hmm. McDermott got a call for a dumped deer leg on the side of the road. How many times did you get that that phone call when a you were being warden? And how yep. many times did you go and like actually follow up with that call? I mean, you do yeah. the best you can. You do the best you can. You can't always do it. And the more deer you have, the more of those calls you get. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, we were inundated with that in District Columbia. Yeah. Rob goes to that call, picks that deer leg up, and it has a registration seal attached to it. <laughs> what are the odds of that? What are the odds of that? Yeah. So uh, that's how we end up on that guy. And um, all in all, there were just the the guy who killed those deer. Um, he ended up with over 20 charges, a uh, couple thousand dollars worth of fines, lost his license for two years. Um, the other guy who registered those deer also received fines, lost his license for a year. So uh, that was... I, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to beat that. No. <laughs> More than likely, I'm not going to beat that case. Yeah, I, I'm going to say no, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, mean, I always leave anything that. Anything's possible. Yeah. Anything's possible. Anything but, is possible, uh, but that, that's a... That case, if, you know, if I ever end up as an FTL, I mean, that case was made just because Rob and I were hard-nosed and pressed and pressed and pressed until something happened. Yes. You know, um, giving up on, on something, uh, you know, after a couple of tries of attempts to contact someone, you know, sometimes right. it takes a little bit to, to pressure someone into making a phone call, man, like, I'm sick of the game warden being on my door. And, and I always thought of it as a challenge when they're trying to avoid you. I'm trying to catch them. <laughs> so, yeah, I, and you do all that things. I mean, we've showed up at people's work after a while right. because we know that they know that we're trying to reach out to them, and now right. they're avoiding us. And, right. okay, we're going to up this ante a little more. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but you're right. You I mean, that's, and it, you know what, Cole, even in my personal life, when people are avoiding me, when I call, oh, yeah. you know, I'm like, it just makes me want to, to contact them more and how. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah. I've always been told. Yeah. And me just going around, to, you know, of course, being a game warden in New Hampshire, I just show up at the door and that's hard to do when you're trying to reach somebody, you know, in California or something and they don't want to pick up their phone or they're not returning your calls and I want to go to their house and knock yep. on their door. <laughs> yep, absolutely. You know, and uh, the nice thing for us, I guess, is at least we have the Lacey Act in, uh, in the yeah. game warden world. You don't have that when you're trying we to We just... have a very long reach. <laughs> yeah, so much when something's happened in New Hampshire, I reached out to Kentucky once oh, yeah. to do a knock and talk. And yep. yeah, it, it's a long, long arm and oh, yeah. people realize, hey, it doesn't matter where you hunt, yep. all of a sudden the local game warden is pounding on your door about something that happened in New Hampshire or other places it's yep. that game warden connection and yeah you, you can't you can't hide you can't run no we're, we're gonna find you yeah and i mean at the end of the day i mean if it if it was just as easy as me going and knocking on a door and being mm-hmm. like hey man like what happened like job would be as much fun right but <laughs> yeah <laughs> no very cool very cool well thanks for like uh giving us a whole insight of like kind of your beginning and uh yeah. so and now you're kind of recruiting too aren't you I mean, yeah you've done some really good jobs down here yeah no i mean it's it's kind of it's fun i uh, i don't mind getting out i um when i was first trying to get into law enforcement you know i had i, I was lucky to have a uh just my local officer um who was willing to kind of take me under his wing bring me on ride-alongs and do stuff like that um and i I hope that I can I can do that for someone else. I hope that I can go out there, you know, if someone wants to do this job bad enough. And mm. just, sometimes it just takes a little bit of help. To right. Like, you to you have someone. done some other jobs in law enforcement before you got here, yeah. which kind of, you know, carted you this way, right? Yeah. So I, I went to college up in Unity, Maine. Um, I uh, studied conservation law enforcement. But while I was there, at the end of my freshman year, I became a correctional officer uh, mm-hmm. in Augusta, Maine. 
Uh, I did that for a year, year and a half until I um, got an internship with my local PD. Mm-hmm. And then I worked for York, Maine as a observe officer. I worked for Henniker, New Hampshire Police as a full-time uh, patrolman. So I've kind of gotten to go through and see a lot of different sides of this job, mm. um, you know, law enforcement. And corrections as well, right? You did a little time in corrections? Yeah, a year and a half yeah. up in Augusta. Yeah, that's, well, that's tough work there. I, you couldn't pay me to go back, yeah. especially now I'm a game ward, not a chance. But yeah. uh, it's I I um, talk about two extreme ends working outside and yeah. then working in a prison. Yeah. So correctional officers, man, they deserve a real hard handshake. If yeah, they can get through a career yep, like that, the, it takes the, a special person. So yeah, they deserve that for Absolutely. sure. Yeah, because they're in jail as much as the other people are. Oh yeah, hundred yeah, percent. For sure. But, so, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's cool being able to share all those experiences mm-hmm. that I've had. And no one's path into this job is the same. No, you I know? would agree with you. Yeah. I mean, so for yeah, me, I did the National Park Service thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and yeah. then I was U.S. Fish and Wildlife and, and got into this job. And right. UN Corrections, local right. plea Right. In two different states, too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, and it's... So being able to share those experiences with people who are like kind of looking to get into it, you can just give them different ideas of like, hey, you know what? Yeah, maybe right now you're not ready, mm-hmm. but these are things you can do. And as long as this is your dream, you can get here. Yeah. It's just sometimes it takes people different paths. Persistence. Exactly. Persistence. You know, just like trying to catch your... Uh, your poachers. Your poachers. Exactly. If you're persistent in getting this job, you're going to persistent in catching poachers and... You are the person we want in this job. Exactly. You know what? Maybe if you can't come work for New Hampshire Fishing Game, we can help you get in with somewhere else. Yeah. You know, the you know? Maine, Pennsylvania is hiring. It seems like a, a lot of people are out there looking for good, solid uh, employees. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, thanks a lot, Cole, for sitting down and giving a little chat about uh, your experiences as a game warden. Yeah. No, I appreciate you having me, Wayne. Thank you. Thank you. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, 